we are rolling. So you can hit it whenever you're ready. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. This is David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. Yeah, it yeah. is time for us to light the ceremonial Robert Mueller the Third candle. <laughs> After who are the other Roberts? Robert Mueller the First, yeah. Robert Mueller Jr. Well, if, what, what, what were they like? We'll find out later. Huh, that's so funny. The few weeks that we've done this tradition, I like it more and more. Yeah, the yeah. sound of that match, I think, is really nice. <laughs> it really is. I must say, I'm glad because because when you brought this out, I'm like, wait, we're doing this again. Then I'm like, wait, this is gonna be done until the man's taken down. Correct. <laughs> or, or, until, or until the Mueller investigation. Is you, made public. you and I about to eat. Like, wait, wait, don't touch the food yet. <laughs> Dear Robert Mueller, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, that's, far away from here. The, hold on. See, this is this is what I don't do, is I don't document anything correctly, and so this is what I need to take a picture of. Go ahead, um, I'm right here for you. All right. Got it. Got it. Great. That's hilarious. And that leads me to my Shiro of the week. Your Shiro of the week. Well, Shiro we, we of both, the week. We both got Shiro's. Great. Uh, I actually have three. I'm going to drop very quickly. Jesus. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay. con- freshman congresswoman from New York who was sworn in this week, who is just driving conservatives nuts by doing extremely normal things and being bold and what she wants to do. This week, people got mad because a video was released of her dancing from college, re- reenacting a scene from The Breakfast Club. Yeah, but that that was promiscuous dancing. No, it wasn't. I know. I, I haven't even seen the video. <laughs> I, I don't even know what she was But doing. I just, for being herself and just existing and, and driving conservatives yeah, crazy. Yeah, you want to talk about Kavanaugh in college? <laughs> that, <laughs> there's been some commentary, like the Venn diagram of people who would defend Brett Kavanaugh's sexual assaults in high school and criticize Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for dancing in college. It's just a circle. It's 100% of the same people. Oh, man. And Chevy Chase, by the way, I see the, I see the bumper. Does anybody see the, the bumper sticker or around eight? you i'll see bumper stickers that say confirm kavanaugh oh wow that's sick i didn't even know that existed no i'm not with that (laughs) yeah shiro number two is dream hampton filmmaker and uh media personality person who came out with the surviving r kelly documentary on lifetime i'm I'm surprised lifetime is the one who took it i am a former r kelly fan and i am very uh embarrassed and distraught for the years that i did play and support the man's music because he's a bad person and a criminal you and, and adrian yeah uh yeah. so i have to make amends for that yeah privately and publicly and give all the props to dream hampton and third and finally is janelle monet because i finally went and listened to her album dirty computer uh-huh. it is phenomenal okay in terms of message in terms of music the varied musical styles on it the lyricism She's incredible, and I hadn't really given her her full respect before. Cue the violins and violas. We gave you life. We gave you birth. We gave you God. We gave you earth. We filmed the future. Don't make it worse. You want the world. Well, what's it worth? Emoticons. Shiro's for me this week. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Dream Hampton, and Janelle Monae. Your Shiro of the week. Uh, My Shiro of the week is my plus one. Uh, I'm still not still not allowed to say her her name yet. That's you know? cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The special lady, your girlfriend. So I mean, like, I guess the topic of t- it fits into the topic of today. Just was feeling in a funk, and she was very forceful about like me making sure that 
I actually take care of myself because like uh, there was a message I heard in a podcast, which I just told you about, which was the 500 and Simbed made this statement how uh, before you can love anybody else, you need to be able to love yourself. And like my girlfriend's always been pushing me on just certain things. Like I'll let things like a lot of the self care I'll let slide. And she was like, what are you doing? She was like, this is like, so of course she was like, this gets laid on me too. You know what I'm saying? But she was like, she was like, you're not, you don't, whether it's, whether it's just like treating my brain correctly or just like, or, or who I surround myself with and stuff like that. And, but specifically she very recently kind of built me up when I was just more so in a, in a saddened and broken state. And so that was, that's why she will be the Shiro for my week. And so the topic for this week, uh, we always have a range of topics and that's the best part about this new iteration of Madcap is we really are, we're really just testing out like all the things that we're passionate about, the things that make us tick, the things that are relevant to us, anything that we we really feel passionate about. And I, and I told Dan, I was like, would you be amenable to us talking about mental health for this episode? And um, because I'm going to share some anecdotes or share my history with that topic, my history with with struggling specifically with depression in my life. And the reason I wanted to talk with Dan specifically is, is because Dan is a guy that maintains a positive outlook for the majority because I, I you everybody has down spots sure you know and like when we first started working with what with one another i was probably in more of a negative state then than i am now and so like it'd be interesting where like those that personality trait of yours like sometimes i couldn't stand it because it was just so up you know <laughs> and i'm just like you know i'm like i like this dark space i'm in you know i like being around i like i like being sad when it's like nah not really you know and so for those of us who struggle with like self confidence, um, who struggle with really just doing and going out there and, and and doing stuff that you know that you know will be your benefit, but there's like a, there's like a mental block. What what are the best steps? How have we gotten through it? And like kind of just like share our tales. And I hope Daniel Bloom, you'd actually be open to um, some others actually sharing their tales as well. You would say in terms of like, I mean, of course not in this particular episode, but there's others who I, I mean, it's, it's like an interesting topic. I mean, you made, you made that comment about, didn't you say you, you talked about somebody posted on Twitter about like, what are, what meds are people on and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a woman named Nicole Cliff who's very popular on Twitter. And she yeah. was like, Hey, let's have kind of this open session where people, if they feel comfortable, tell me and we'll publicize it basically like underneath this initial tweet call out what brain meds you're on yeah and if you're comfortable share your dosage and many people including somebody that we know yeah um i'll say it jared rizzi because he posted it publicly yeah they posted some of their stories some of the meds that they're on and their dosages and Mm. the thing that was so powerful is many commenters afterwards were like wow some of the most impressive people that I respect greatly in media have posted onto this thread. And so I think that I think that reflects something that is happening in broader society and needs to happen more and more, which is the normalization of talk and discussion and acceptance of mental health and mental care. Yeah. Because it doesn't help anybody to keep these discussions under wraps. It seems to me, not being a trained person, it seems to me that sunlight, openness, discussion in a safe space is one of the most important first steps of addressing any yeah. mental health issue. Like, first, you've got to identify the issue to begin to take steps to mitigating it or to helping yourself out. So, I'll ask you, 
when did you feel like, okay, there is something going on with me that I need to address? Oh, man. And like, at what age were you? Oh, uh, right after freshman year of college. That's interesting. Right after freshman year of college. And also what's interesting is also, it's also when like, I actually like really started smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Really. Well, that's something else I wanted to talk about. Yeah. That, really. Well, that, that, that maybe can come later, but give me the rest of your story. So you were at Temple University. Transfer. Which is interesting because yeah. that was also where I was. Exactly. Trans- and we didn't know each other at no, that time. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Which is a damn shame. <laughs> yeah. I think about that sometimes. Did and I mean, all I needed to do was stay and you know, stay there. I, I transferred out. Temple was good to me. I had something good, not long for something better. And I transferred to UMD in that summer. I had a summer internship, and I took a summer class too. I took criminology, and like a professor. I think her name was Nadine. She was young. Yeah, I, remember, I remember her chasing me down on campus. We were walking to ask if something was up with me because she was like, you started off really, really strong. And now she's like, you seem kind of like a ghost. And I was, you know, and I'm pretty sure I either, I'm pretty sure I dropped the class. Like I did not, I didn't stay that. So Nadine chased you down. Nadine chased me down. She knew something was going on. And, and like, I remember I was smoking more. I was, I was definitely smoking more in terms of like, just like friends of mine who were, because me and one, one, one close friend from high school, we both transferred to UMD at the same time. And like, we would really just like smoke, take bong hits, you know, stuff like that. And that was the first time that I felt like immobilized. And not, not even when I was high, just like kind of just didn't want to do anything. But I was always considered moody. My parents talked about that when I was younger, you know what I'm saying? Because I would just have these like very just down spots and stuff like that. Well, let, me, all right, let me rephrase this. We didn't help. It didn't help it. You know what I'm saying? If I was depressed, we just did not help it. As I think back, there was definitely moments where my parents were like, are you okay? You know, but for them, I mean, like you talk about like two older black folks, they may not have known how to diagnose it. So it could just, it could just fester. You know, they would just be, all right, it was just a spell or something like that. When it's just like, eh, it could be more, it could be more than a spell. And so it was, so freshman year was, so, I mean, or sophomore year at UMD is when I actually like, I went to actually see somebody. So I went to go to this counseling center at UMD. It was a black South African guy who was doing a PhD. I want to say named Alex Petarsi. And we sat and we, he and I would just talk about like blackness we just had, would have lengthy conversations. He would talk about South Africa and like little things like, cause I, I, would, I would complain about my, fa- my parents. I would be like, well, they're so, they're so clean. The blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not like this stuff like that. And he was like, he was like growing up in South Africa. I, I used to know, or no, he also grew up in part of his family lived in Australia. He was like, I, he was like, my family was dirt poor. He was like, we, but when you go in their apartment, he was like, it was extremely clean. And he was like, I took this as that's the one thing they could control. You know, and so I remember taking that back to my dad and my dad be like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? You know what I'm saying? But like, little, but like, this is the first, so he and I, it wasn't like he, he, and he told me, he was like, you know, you're actually, he was like, it's not normal for black men to be showing up in this office. He was like, he was like, so you're kind of like going against the trend. And so, and so because of that, he would share his own personal like issues with personal identity talking about when he's in like a room full of whites, he's, he'll be like questioning if he even belongs there and stuff like that and so it was like that was my first that was my first intro really was just sitting down having a conversation and talking about how I felt um and UMD wanted to prescribe me like I went to their mental they gave me Adderall you know they thought which was a fucking nightmare of a situation it's just like because if you no, if you like Adderall is not for Adderall is specifically for, for for ADD you know like for some no it was not 
that was that was that led to a spiraling of just like just craziness, mm-hmm. you know, just a whole world that no, it's not anything that I would take. Did it cost money? Huh? Very cheap coming uh-huh. from the university. Mm-hmm. Um, very cheap, and so those years were tough because I also wasn't good at vocalizing it, but I wrote a lot. I wrote a hellish amount. You know what I'm saying? Like, when did you start that? Um. That's the, the like, practice of writing. Uh, sophomore year. That's why I, I, I really wrote. I, I, I wrote a lot. You know, it's so interesting when you go through these things, especially in college. There are so many good people because there's so many. There's so many professors, not just like Nadine, who are just like, "All right, I'm gonna do you this favor because I know something else is going on here." You know, so many, and a few gave me a favor and I fucked it up because college, college in general can amplify the mental illness situation because it's just like it's a weird system. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And you're without your traditional support system. You're without longer. it. Yeah. And your discipline systems. Yeah. And accountability systems. Exactly. You're just floating out there in a lot to a large extent. Exactly. I mean, I had down days at Springbrook, but I loved showing up to that building. This was your high school. Springbrook High School. I loved like I remember being sick and my parents being like, You gotta stay home and I'm like, damn it. Why? Because you had good friends there? Good friends. There might be a lady I wanted to talk to. There's, Perhaps. You have to say definitely, yeah. definitely. Or like, well, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't do nothing with that, <laughs> with that. But you have to say, but in my head, I'm like, at least if I'm present, I can at least try. You know what I'm saying? I'm in the game. Exactly. I'm yeah. in the game. Yeah. And like, I mean, I go to UMD and it just wasn't working. I've been dealing with depression since then, but it just like, I did not have a great support system. People were going to, like at Temple, there was, if, if that were to, if, if, if I was in a negative state at Temple, there were people who were going to follow up on me. Mm-hmm. At UMD, ain't nobody give a shit. I, you had to go, like, Alex. But if I didn't show up, Alex was not going to find me. You know, I mean, like, I found it to be a cold place. There was just, like, years of just, like, intense self-loathing. Even worse than that, basically me just driving on the other side of the road, you know, um, in terms of, like, feelings of self-harm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, just not wanting to be there. You know what I'm saying? Because there are definitely friends of mine who are like, oh, no, I we definitely know that David Ross face. You know, where David Ross was like, they're like, is this guy actually going to commit suicide? You know what I'm saying? Like, there was definitely... Or they might have thought I was full of shit. You know what I'm saying? But they definitely knew that, like, I was like, I was losing it. You know? <laughs> Someone probably still think I'm losing it. <laughs> but but they, they, they definitely remember that. And, you know, it was a... Um, there was a doctor named Dr. Donald B. Vogel, old Jewish man, off Georgia Avenue, who went to he he went to Blair, uh, okay, yeah, 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 Blair Blazers, exactly. Donald B. Vogel, I go to see him, and like I'm telling him everything, tell him blah blah blah. I'm like I'm fucking up here, I'm fucking up there, and he was like, he said, "Why are you being a little shit?" You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in like, and he was like, "Gives me all these things I have to be positive." I, I you know saying I had to live for. Gives me a prescription for at the time was I want to I want to believe it. They changed the name. It was called Wellbutrin. All right. Well, Butrin, uh, when I took that drug, that was the first time in a long time I actually was concerned about what I was accomplishing in the day. So it's like, all right, well, I told myself I was going to drop this off the dry cleaners or something like that. I remember my dad being like, I could tell this stuff works. And I was like, why? He was like, because you borrowed some tools. He was like, and you brought them back. And to others, that's a no brainer. You know, I mean, to others, that's absolutely a no brainer. But for some people, it's like, you got, you, you're sluggish. You know, it's just like it's it's it takes it takes a lot to it takes a lot to move people. Depression affects people in all different ways, but um, for me, for depression was like painful. First of all, you'd have I can even feel like centralized in your in your head where it would hurt your head. Mm. You know, um, and you just and you just have like just weights on your body. You're not moving, and so 
Doc Dombey Vogel, without a doubt, shoved me in the right direction. I owe a lot to that man. That man was damn expensive too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's another question. Yeah. So you had to pay for that out of pocket, or was yeah. it insured, or what? Pay for, he was like he was not my network. Okay, I had to pay for that out of pocket. So how did you find him? Huh? To be honest, Dan, I can't remember. He counseled some um, some folks during Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, he was. You know what I'm saying he had those almost like the pictures that Robin Williams had in like uh, Good to a Hunting. He had those same things. You know what I'm saying? And that's and that pro- and that was his first interaction really with or not first interaction, but that was like you dealing dealing with black men who are who are who are broken he he was able to understand my he was really able to understand what i was going through and kind of shove me shove me the right direction and also he read my short stories i sent him my short stories he was like he was like you cursed a lot he was like but i had a few belly laughs guy he was like he was like i like what you do- i like what you're up to and so like that was the one thing that gave me an outlet was like my laptops were filled with what I call like free writing. Free writing is where you just sit at the laptop and like, of course, it's not a lot of if you were to review it later, it's it's just going to sound like crazy because you're really just writing stream of thought sentences. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Either stream, not all stream linked. of consciousness. Yes, yeah, not all linked. Right. You know, I mean, and like just I would do that for this is a brief exercise or sometimes do it for hours. It was almost like me just like having my way with my laptop, but me getting out a lot of stuff. And, I, and if I had not done that. I don't know what type of person I would have been, because where else would where else would that have gone? You know, uh, where else would those thoughts have gone? I am curious about what gave you the impetus to even seek out that level of help, even at Maryland or even with Doctor Vogel through the channels of writing, because many people never even consider it. Like, who planted the idea in your mind that you know there there are people you can go speak to about this? There are processes that you can engage in that may help you through the path that's to be honest it was the um i was doing i need to get back to it it was i was reading about it because i was reading i was reading way more fiction and non-fiction and people like and people kind of allude to these things especially some of the great fiction writers would definitely allude to their mental health and so i kind of got a understanding of what that looked like and i was like all right well let me follow up here hemingway jd salinger i don't like first of all i had a policy because i said i had a policy i didn't I didn't. Re- I didn't dive into authors that committed suicide because mm-hmm. I thought they were going to create a convincing argument, mm. you know. So I wouldn't read Hemingway. I wasn't a big like Hunter Thompson. I get it. You know what I'm saying. I mean, at the end of the day, like Hemingway took a shotgun to the face, you know. <laughs> I mean, like not pretty. And I don't like his writing that much anyway. I don't. I don't think his fucking description is that good. <laughs> Fear Without Arms is not a good book. <laughs> table, whatever, whatever. The stuff I read at the UMD library and the stuff that that um, some of those classes, even some of those classes where I did poorly in, take like intro to theater. I did not do well in that class, but I read everything that I I I, I read. I read every play in that book. Right. You know, just not when it was assigned to me. And, and so like, and so listening to kind of those anecdotes and stuff like that, people talk about their 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 emotional well being. I was right. like, I was like, all right, there's there there are tools in place for me to follow up on this. But that's a good question because I don't. I'm. It's almost like that's almost like hazy in terms of like me actually remembering what what sparked me to do that. But I. But the thing is, there is a. Um, I feel like there's stuff I can and can't share. There is a history with it in my family, mm-hmm. so there, there's there's certain things that just maybe did not want to repeat. Yeah. So I was just like, all right, I saw what y'all did there. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna try this. You know. Yeah. And uh, and they came. I mean, eventually, from I mean, my father was like, of course he didn't get it. Then after a while, he was like, nah. He was like, he was he was like, you might need to. 
continue doing this. But yeah, nobody for any, nobody, I was not pushed by anybody. That was, that was literally self, that was self-motivated. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting to me because so many people aren't even aware that there is a path for them to take and they just suffer. Exactly. But that's also, that's also where we got to be thankful. We grew up in a very educated region. That's true. But I mean, I'm also, in a way, I'm referring to myself. Like I've uh-huh. never been to therapy before uh-huh. and I have thought for years, maybe I should go. And for me, it's really based about my childhood and like my parents. And it's kind of funny because even to this day, when I think about doing that, it's like, well, there's so much that you have to be thankful for in your life. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go and waste people's time and waste my own money when it's like, really, I'm living a charmed life. And I realize that. But I think there are some aspects of my personality that I could still improve in an important way that have to do with growing up as the child of a divorced home. Like, Mm. I, I recognize that to this day, I try to please everybody. And I try to hold everything together. I, I'm affixed to tradition yeah. in many ways, in some ways that maybe aren't great. And I'm averse to conflict. It was, college is such an interesting time, because right back to college, I took a class once, conflict resolution. And this was the most, one of the most important classes I've ever taken. Joe Folger was mm-hmm. the professor. And he actually knew one of my mom's good friends. And the big lesson that came out of that class was conflict is not always negative. Conflict in many cases is not just resulting in positive effects, but necessary. And if you push a conflict off, you're just in a situation for way too long yeah. that you don't need to be in. Yeah. And, you know, I, like I remember hearing my parents fight when I was a young boy mm-hmm. and thinking, this is the worst like, I can't control this. Yeah. And I'm feeling the effects of this. Why can't people just get together and stay together? But that wasn't realistic. Yeah. So I had to, like, kind of go through these waves. You know, the, the big metaphor that I still remember very clearly is, now, luckily, my parents didn't dislike each other. Yeah. They were always emotionally supportive of each other and supportive of my relationship with them. And even the other parent. That's not always the case. If, no. you don't, if you don't have that, you really got problems. Yeah. But even for me, and I was also lucky because when my father moved out of the house, he moved to Silver Spring very close by. Yeah. And so I would have to pack twice a week. I would have to pack a bag, an overnight bag, bring it to middle school, put my overnight bag in my locker. And at the end of the day, I'm taking my bag and I'm going to the other house. Yeah. Twice a week. This is two out of five days. So I'm on the move four out of five days of the week. Yeah. During middle school. That's a tumultuous time. Yeah. Where you need stability. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, you know how close I am with my Tacoma Park friends, right? So I was away from them two days a week. They're all doing whatever, playing street hockey, hanging out. I'm gone. I'm absent. And I'm suddenly in this new crew. Now, luckily, I had another crew. Who are they? I don't even know if you know these guys, but they're really good guys. They're still friends to uh-huh. this day, led by Rudy Couchman and uh-huh. Daniel Bracamontes and Camilo Rincon was in that group. Like, there's a whole group of guys who were just separate. Like, yeah. And they had their own crew. Frankly, they're a little bit cooler than the Tacoma <laughs> Park guys. I can see that. But we, we, each, we each had our had our thing. <laughs> So it's kind of funny because from the time I was five 
all of these challenges that were serious challenges, but overcomable. And it's like, okay, you got to do well in school, go to your Hebrew school, do your bar mitzvah, try to be romantically involved with like girls as people are growing up. You got to try to do all this stuff from two different bases and manage your relationship with each of these parents at the same time. So on some level, turning 18 was a relief. It was like, oh, now I get to have a place where I live. I'm not going from one place to another place and back and forth. And it's like, no, no, no. If you want to see me, you come to me. Yeah. Or I choose to go to you, but I'm back in the same bed every night. Yeah. That didn't happen until I went to college. That's a crazy thing. I've never even really thought about that before. Wow. So when it comes down to it, there is still a chance that I will decide I got to unravel some of this stuff and I've got to go see somebody and go talk to somebody. That sounds like it might be a good thing to do. Maybe before you have children or yeah. stuff like that. I, yeah. mean, like, th- I mean, think of those, and we don't need to name names, but think of those in our lives who are like still very much affected by a divorce for folks that may have even been stunted by it. It's, yeah. not, a, it's not a game. No. It's really not. I mean, no. yeah, you're not guaranteed like a smooth and easy ride if your parents stay together. No. But if your parents, you're going to have issues if your parents split up, period. Yeah. They yeah. might be overcomable. They may be mild on the scale of things, but you're going to, you're just going to have them, I think. I mean, I could be wrong about yeah. this. I'm just making assumptions I here. think you are, because I mean, I've got some, some folks I grew up with and they, it can be a sad situation because they'll, they won't talk about it often, but if like get them drunk or something like that, mm-hmm. they will lean on that as the root of all of these problems that have taken place throughout their life. And it's tough to hear because it's just like, it's like, that wasn't my experience, you know? But I I do want to lend that there could potentially be some validity there to that, especially kind of how, I mean, you talk about how you conflict resolution, or just like living, living, living your life with so much anger at your parents and stuff like that. Or just confusion, even if it's not anger, just confusion. Exactly. Because you'll never be able to understand, really, what your parents were going through. Yeah. You can't. Do you, but do you agree with this? And, and on what, I would love to ask you if this applied here. I, I watched um, J.K. Rowling's uh, graduation speech. Mm-hmm. Before, I can't remember where it was. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she said there is an expiration date on when you can blame your parents for how your life turned out. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like, the parents in the audience... That was a standing O. They were like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, exactly. And I remember thinking about that. And I was, because like some of these people I'm talking about, like, they're like, it's like they're frozen in middle school. Like, you, you, this is not like the same story I hear from you. They are like, the parents don't get along and they are, they're angry about their life circumstance now. Mm-hmm. And they'll like bring it back to fucking sixth grade. And I'll be like, man, I'm like, you talk about something. I'm like, you need therapy to get this fixed. Right. I'm like, this may have fucked up, but you're still in this. You still have not moved on from this. Because t- sometimes time freezes. Yeah. When you encounter a moment that is painful and you don't know what to do with it, sometimes you can just get stuck in that moment. I mean, I remember what it was like. That's yeah. weird. It's one of my first memories, being a young kid and hearing my parents fight like crazy, and then their marriage fell apart. I still, on some level, there's a little piece of me that is stuck there. Yeah. And it might be useful to just kind of like... I'm not even sure. A little piece of me wishes I could go back and see the whole movie about what was really going on. I don't even know what the fight was about. You might not even want to see that, I'm sh- I probably don't. Yeah. I'm probably happy just kind of like, yeah. let's deal with it. And this is one of the points I wrote down prior to this conversation that su- suddenly becomes very relevant. Mm-hmm. To me, one of the keys, I mean, you asked me, how do I maintain this kind of yeah. positive attitude? There's a couple of very important keys. 
One of them is face the past. Face it. Because the more you run from the past mm-hmm. and try to cover up the past and try to drink or smoke away the past, it doesn't work. The only way to deal with the present is to face the past honestly. And like J.K. Rowling said, there is this victimization, self-victimization that can go on. Yeah. And that can go on forever for your entire life. Yeah, it or, can. Or you can just, I mean, it's easier said than done, but you can decide not to be bound by that any longer. Like, I am not going to be a prisoner of my past. I'm going to face the past. And I wish I knew some, maybe I'll f- learn these someday, I'll, some strategies about what do you do? Do you go back in time and do you talk to your former self? Yeah. And say, this is what you need to know about the current moment and the future, about what's going to happen to you and how do you deal with this? And maybe even talking to or confronting, if it's safe, the people who affected that difficult situation. Like, I've never really talked to my father about that time. Yeah. We've danced around it a lot, but we've never really gotten into it because I think we both understand that it's going to be a painful conversation. And so on some level, I mean, I think my mom and I have gotten into it a lot more because Mm -hmm. we're very, very, I mean, I'm very emotionally close with my father too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the traditional mother-son relationship is very much intact between she and I. It's like, you know, but even with her, sometimes we start talking about difficult things and her response is like, yeah, but you turned out great. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I know that, but you know, you still have to face the past as painful as it can be because Ooh. on on the other end of that is healing. Yeah. Okay, that's one. Yeah. And it the next next one is related to it and this is like the most important thing probably in life period if you want to accomplish anything, which is to know yourself. Yeah. On a historical level, where did I come from? What am I the product of? Where am I the product of? How did that shape me? And then in turn, how am I unique? What are my unique advantages? And what are my unique challenges? Because if you view yourself as, oh, I'm a fuck up. Like if that's the first thing you say, and I know people, people that I'm close to, who have said things like, and I quote, oh, I'm a trash person. And I'm like, that is so far away from A, being true, and B, so far away from a positive state of mind. If you start with the premise that you're a trash person, nothing you do matters. And that is also a defense mechanism. Oh, I'm a trash person, so I do trash things. And therefore, it's acceptable. Whereas, I think part of knowing yourself is also being honest about, all right, I come from these people. And these people came from these people and back and back and back and back. If you see yourself as the current end product, not the eventual end product, because who knows where this is all ending up. But if you see yourself as the latest link in a chain that stretches back millennia to the beginning of human history, at some point you can see, hey, what I'm doing in my life matters. It's not for nothing. I'm not a trash person. I'm a person. Yeah. And the, the same thing can work in the opposite direction. If you think you're king shit and nothing you do is wrong, then you're a pompous ass, even if you are accomplishing things. And then you're in your castle surrounded by a moat and you're still not happy. Yeah, yeah. 
So there, there is a certain humility and a certain amount of self-value that I think is necessary. It's a balance, but it has to do with knowing yourself, not running from that. Who am I? Yeah. This is the essential question of life. I actually think the positive thing about that, a, a, a positive thing about some of this is, is the, is the humility that comes from it. You know, uh, when you got like, when you got stumbling blocks and all that stuff, it humbles you real quick. So it's just like, it's like after you go through that, arrogance is not, it's a waste of time. Cause you're like, nah, I, I know how bad this could be. Mm-hmm. It's like, it could be right around the corner. I've been through it. I can't like, like shit happens to everybody. I might be crushing it this week or this past few years, but like, nah. And so like, that is the positive, that is, the, is like recognizing, or for those who are alert, that are like, these things happen to people. People have dark past. And so like, to be the best individual throughout the rest of your existence, you need to understand that there's a probability that these things can continue to happen. And that just because I don't, you cannot be insensitive towards it, towards other people, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause like I, I had a professor saying, like, you never know what somebody is going through in their life. You have no idea. That's a big truth. You Very know? much you so. You can never no no never go through it. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, another line which I'll take from Michael Clayton by Sidney Pollack is people are incomprehensible. Also true. People are absolutely incomprehensible. You know, you have no idea what a person's gonna do in the next moment. Just because they, we might predict that they're gonna you know say, but if Dan Bloom, if you want to punch a punch a punch a hole through the window, then jump out or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the craziest shit that took place today. And not the, even close. <laughs> you know? I mean, like you talk about know yourself, and we keep talking. I mean, maybe that should be the new title of the podcast is know yourself. Because it's like we keep coming back to that. Know yourself, know know who you are, know your know where you're headed. And like, and the reason we keep coming back to it is because we're still learning who we are. We don't know it. Yet we're still learning. We're still getting. To, we're still getting tools. You know what I'm saying? To, to, uh, we're still getting. We're still getting in research. Advisors are still sitting in reports. Yeah, you know. About, and we continue to still write the story every day. Exactly. It's like it doesn't stop. We can't just stop, halt it, wait until all the information comes in. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like a train's moving and people are just throwing you information while you're on the train. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Being like, look, look, look. You're this guy. Like, let me change cars now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like and you're trying to observe the outside world. Exactly. And affect it. By the way. And and at the same time, trying to continue the self-evaluation of the current moment and the past. Exactly. So it, it has to be done on an active way. And I don't think, I know I don't do this on an active basis, but I probably should. And your big tool of writing, even free writing, sounds yeah. like a really useful one. Because it's funny, you can almost teach yourself things that one part of your brain is not aware of. Yeah. You know, and just by writing or thinking about it, or in our case, mostly talking about it, yeah. you can start to realize things that were latent, dormant inside of your understanding. And it's like you are your own best advocate in a way. So like, it's interesting because I know that you have dealt with periods of struggle in your life and mentally, but the fact that you have the spark within you to be conscious enough to say, hey, there are some things in my own past and my own family. And then through my reading and learning, I understand that there are these paths. Let me go put a toe on that path and see if there's some people on it who will help me, help bring me into the stream. Mm-hmm. I mean, that takes a spark of knowledge, of intuition, of self-knowledge and self-worth that should not be overlooked. Even in a person's darkest moment, if they can understand, hey, there's another side here for me and life is too short 
Yeah. Not for me to go forward with it. I mean, that's the thing I always come back to with Big Chocolate, Cameron Argon. Mm-hmm. When his friend passed away, the lead singer of Suicide Silence, yeah. on a mo- in a motorcycle accident, yeah. that spurred him to think about his own death very often. And now I think about my own death all the time. And the things I want to accomplish before that happens. Exactly. And the way that my own death and the death of people that I love will affect the world. And so when you start thinking about that, what you want to do is you want to grab onto the people that you love and you want to hold them really tightly. Yeah. And that think that same instinct, and I just grabbed onto you physically <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah, those yeah. who are listening at home. I think that instinct can also have to do with ourselves. It's like, let me grab on to myself and let me hold myself as tightly as possible because in a great sense, if you can, one should love them. Back to the very first thing you said, if you're going to love others, you got to love yourself. So if you want to love yourself, you got to do it actively and not just kind of think, oh, well, another day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And this gets to the last thing that was on my paper, honestly, which is perspective. Okay. And I think for both of us, actually, coming from the groups that we're a part of, myself being Jewish, you being Mm African-American. Like, these are two groups that have had a lot of trouble and a lot of difficulty. Yeah. Prejudice and physical violence and bondage. Yeah. And these things can stay with us in negative ways. There's been all this research about trauma being passed on through genetic code. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I believe that. But... It's funny, um, the woman who runs audio at the Washington Post, Jessica Stahl, Mm -hmm. I had a really good meeting with her. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the meeting, she said, why are you so positive? Like, why are you so optimistic about life? And I said, "She's. I think she's Jewish as well. I'm not sure. But I was like, Jessica, if I lived in another time and place, there could be a pogrom coming after me. There could be guys on horseback like showing up to run me out of my town and burn down my village. For grounds in the pale of settlement. <laughs> I mean, that is the history of the group that I come from. Yeah. And very recently, and perhaps again soon, things have not been safe for my people. And thus, every day that I wake up in a country that has as much religious freedom and tolerance. And I'm not even a religious guy. Yeah. I'm not like an adherent to the belief in God. Yeah at all but I'm a part of the tradition and I'm a part of the people and one thing that they do teach you in your Jewish education is remember what happened to us don't sleep and don't think that it can't happen again and so if you're in a place of safety and happiness cherish it because it's fleeting yeah I mean you have a degree in history you're aware of how things cycle back sometimes yeah. And so, yeah, I am. if I've really got my mind right, if I wake up as a Jew in America and there are not people coming to bang down my door and drag me away, it's a good day. And if you can, st- it's pretty morbid in a way, but if you can think like that, if that is your baseline, <laughs> no matter what happens to you, you're good. Yeah. And now, you know, I got the greatest wife in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not working at the moment, but I've got interesting job prospects. I got enough food. I got a roof over my head. I'm living the dream. Yeah. And some people would look at my life, at my 770 square foot apartment yeah. on a busy, noisy street and say, you're not killing it, bro. 
You know, you're not doing enough. Yeah, I couldn't live like that, bro. Give, so, some like, some people would look at my life and say, you're not killing it. Yeah. And I look at my life and say, I could not be luckier. Like, this is a, this every day of this life is a gift. Even the fact that I wake up with two legs and two working arms and I can see and hear. I mean, there's people who have wonderful attitudes in life who don't have those things. So it's, to me, being happy is a, a prospect and a process of understanding both yourself and trying to have proper perspective about just how much worse it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is for people in our, in our world. I, think, I feel like I've said this on, my, on this show, uh, but my godfather had that line. He was like, somebody would kill for your perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, when I was going through downspot, I'm saying like, a, and he's a, uh, grew up, with little in Mississippi and stuff like that. And he was like, he was like, you have no idea who, who, how many people would love to be the David Ross in this situation, you know? And that's the good part about you and my Shiro. You have to say it. Because that constant reminder, they're like, <laughs> I remember my girlfriend was like, she was like, you do not know what it, what it means to have been poor. Yeah, you know I'm saying she was like, you do not know what it means to ever have been poor in your life, you know. And she and and, and she was like, I mean, just like l- little things like that that you have that you have to be aware of. I mean, how do you maintain that, but also be ambitious? Because mm-hmm. of course, you don't want to be, you don't want that to be your crutch. You're like, all right, I ain't got to do shit. You know what I'm saying? True. It's, like you're know saying, like yeah, the the uh, the clan ain't knocking down the door, so but. I don't need to go to work today. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's like people say that water tends to find its level. Yeah. Right? Like, even if you're the richest person and you got all the freedom in the world and you got everything, you will still find times, down times. Yeah. And that, I think, is part of the balance of being human, of maintaining some level of needing to make things better. Yeah. Not being overly satisfied, but also not being so down that you can't function. I think it takes work. If I were smart, I would wake up every day and go through some kind of process where it's like, who am I? What did I do yesterday? What do I want to happen by tomorrow? And exactly. what do I need to do today to get closer to that vision of tomorrow? Yeah. It's, it's an active process. And the more we allow our minds just kind of spin, and guess what? Social media is not helpful for this. No. Drugs and alcohol, not helpful no, for this. That's another episode. Yeah, but it's also related. It's the worst. Because, it's the worst. I mean, this is something that I've gone through as well. And it's like, if you're using drugs and alcohol... To self-medicate. It's to self-medicate or to distract from the situation at hand. Yeah. It's, it's really not healthy. No. I think as adults, it's fine for us to use drugs that are safe and alcohol in safe levels as a recreation from time to time. But it's important... And I've not always done this. It's important that we be honest with ourselves. What am I using this for? Am I using this to escape? Or am I using this as a recreational activity where I'm kicking back with my friends once in a while? Yeah. Because... You know the difference because the people that are doing it for recreation are doing it once in a while. Right. Celebratory. Once in a while. Those that are doing it all the time, it is like literally, it's like, because after a while, it's like, how much can you, what are you celebrating? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I mean, I know that crew, you know, I, I, I know, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I've been in that crew. You yeah, know? I think it allows us in some cases to continue walking through the world unconsciously. And being conscious is 
everything. I mean, this is something I respect my wife Maya for very much as she does this daily yoga practice. And a big part of that is, let me center my mind. It's not just a bodily thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that has real benefits to it. How do you compete with the... Because so many folks out here just have just like the... Just continuous... The misery. They got it. Because I think, I think like a group... Some friends I have where the alcohol and drug intake is high. Mm-hmm. They pretty much got what they wanted out of life or like you think and it's it's almost as if like was it just not enough you know there wasn't like a deeper understanding of a deeper understanding of self as the what would make them happy mm-hmm. and i'm not i feel if they were listening they'd be like oh you want to talk david like you're with us but <laughs> yeah like, but at least you're talking about yeah, it yeah yeah i mean like uh but i think about that because i gotta send you the sinbad episode sinbad was talking deep you know what I'm saying let's do so, it so so like so he was talking about how we talked about honesty and like in, in fixing some of your faults. He was like, or before actually getting to where you need to be, fixing some of these faults. So when you get there, you're not the same person. And he was like, I knew, I knew guys, especially he's talking about entertainment. So like, he's like, I knew guys that were miserable when we were younger and they're killing it now. And they're still fucking miserable. They hate fucking life. And he was like, people need to find a way to fix those things before they advance. And so I look at this group and I'm like, maybe, maybe some of these people like, they got the woman they wanted or they thought they wanted. They got the job they wanted or thought they wanted. And maybe it's not exactly what they wanted. Some, I mean, some folks are like, all right, if I'm going to be in this, I'm going to be a fucking... The only way I can be this is I'm going to just be a fucking alcoholic. I got I to gotta come home and I got to drink this. But it's just so difficult stumbling on what is right for you. This other Sinbad line was not... He's like, not everything is reserved for you. Especially in terms of like where your career is or stuff like that. He was like, not everything is, just because you think it's reserved for you does not mean it's actually for you. You get there and you're like, this is not my situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, this life shit is difficult, man. This has to do with the journey. Yeah. What you've just said is people have arrived at the destination that they sought. Yeah. And it still wasn't enough for them. Exactly. So this leads me to the memory or the thought that it's hard sometimes to enjoy the journey. Because we're striving for things. We want yeah. to achieve our goals. But you must always try, if you can, to enjoy the journey. Because once you have arrived at it, when you look back, often, it, people say this all the time, so much that it's become a cliche. Yeah. It's like, oh, we were happiest when we were poor. Yeah. Like, we were happiest when we were working really hard to achieve the thing. And once we achieved the thing, it turns out that that was not the key to happiness after all. Yeah. So because of that, it's like, this is another really important point. And I haven't, we haven't talked about this for a long time, but I know we've talked about it on this show before, which is embrace uncertainty. Yeah. Uncertainty truly is the order of the world, which is kind of an oxymoron, but that's the, the rule rather than the accept. The exception is hey, I think this is going to happen. Now it's happened, and I'm just going to be happy with it. It's much more common that you think you're heading towards what you want. You don't quite get it, but along the way, something else happens, and then you diverge into a place that was actually better. Yeah, I mean, it has to do back with humility. It's like, you think that you know what's best for you. Oh, no. 
No. In many cases, you don't. No. Be careful what you wish for. And more to the point, it's important to wish for things and it's important to hope for things, but try to be nimble yeah. and understand that if you don't achieve it, or even if you do achieve it, that may not be the end of your journey. No, no. I tell, I told, I tell the plus one all the time, you know, like, like during hiccups early on in the relationship, I would be like, I don't know exactly what I want, but I also know that I am not like I do not have a good track record on acting on my own on my own uh, best interests. So like what I want in the moment isn't necessarily what is actually more suited to me. And so like I am going to of course also cuz it's also deep love for this person but like there's a form of uncertainty there by me ignoring my voice and being like no 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 I'm going to listen to everybody else here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, like like I'm not and it's worked. It can be useful. <laughs> it's worked. You know what's funny like um the girlfriend asked me this question. She was like, are you sure you're a city person? <laughs> I was like, why? Because like one of the bands I work with is in a rural area. And she was like, you get out here. You don't say anything. You're less irritable. And I had never thought about that. My entire life, I've been like, I want to live right smack in the center of like New York or something like that. When it's just like, when I go out to the fucking farmland to deal with these dudes... I am is I am like a a waggy tail dog. I'm saying like standing in this like I'm in like and I just learned this this year, this year. There's no way you could have sold that to me. There's no way. I'll be like, what the fuck for? I like you. I'm saying this is the first time I've been like, yo, if we if if we acquire some stuff, there's gonna need to be a rural component here because I need because it actually helps. It actually helps my disposition. I literally just learned that maybe a month ago. Yeah, you know. And so I mean like. I don't know what the tool is for um, recognizing all the warning signs that we are that we are throwing in our life. Some, like I said, some people are just much, much better life calculators. Mm-hmm. They just have a almost like poker, just have a better track record of following certain. Like they're like, all right, I'm gonna go down this lane because I think this might be better for me. And uh, some of us are just like just struggle, you know, just struggle. Yeah. It may take other people being like, no, wrong hand, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, that's good if you can collect people in your life and around your life who yeah. love you enough to be truthful with you. And then put you down a path that, or suggest a path that they think you'll be good for. That's a beautiful gift. Yeah, that's the most beautiful gift that you can get. Yeah. And what you just said reminded me of maybe a good metaphor. The human body is some absurdly high percentage of water, Mm -hmm. right? So really, we're just sacks of water. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Walking around this sentient sacks of water we bleed and we're also (laughs) and we're also animals. Yeah. And so we get caught in these animalistic patterns sometimes where i mean sex is a huge part of that food is a huge part of that drugs and alcohol like the chemical rushes and surges that you get yeah this stuff is very animalistic and that's not necessarily a bad thing quote unquote it just means try to be aware that you as a person are not fixed on a page yeah you are constantly changing you may learn new things about yourself as you've done this year yeah and you may change as well so the story that you tell yourself and the world about yourself may no longer even be right so try to be aware that your life is not a fixed point it is a process it is something that is in progress and if you can affect that in positive ways all the better let me throw one more quick strategy out here okay because i have a really dear friend that i went to college with named michael abdul kawi 
I don't know yeah. if you've met this guy. No. He's th- fantastic. He has a wife who I love named Atara. They have a little baby now, Liel. Beautiful black and Jewish couple that created just a gorgeous human being of a daughter. I'm okay. so happy to be in their lives. And Mike used to make fun of me in college because I would always celebrate small victories. Like the smallest things. Like, oh, fourth meal is still open. They got chicken nuggets. Yes. <laughs> like, fourth meal was always open. Still, you know? <laughs> like appreciating the small victories yeah. in life and not taking them for granted can be very powerful and is one reason that I find reasons to be happy and look forward to every single day. <laughs> and here's the, the real life hack about that strategy is that you are not responsible for providing or creating out of whole cloth these moments of happiness. In fact, I have a term for this. It's called wheels of happiness. Wheels of happiness. Because they're going to come around whether or not you're paying attention to them. Yeah. They're going to happen. Do you know how many amazing movies come out every year, every week? Documentaries alone. This is a great source of joy that I have discovered in my own life. Albums, songs. I mean, free songs that are not even released by a record company on SoundCloud. Podcasts. This is a relatively new world. And before that, radio, good food. New restaurants, new recipes, meeting new people, going to concerts. These are just mine. Sports. Yeah. Professional tennis. The NBA. Like, I'm getting excited just saying these things out loud. I keep track of these things. Like, I know on a daily basis, these are the games that are coming up that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. These are the movies that are coming out that I want to see. These are the shows that my wife is interested in that we can watch together. These are the new restaurants that are coming out that I read about sometimes in DC. These are the festivals that I'm interested in. These are the block parties. Putting things on the calendar that cost no money in many cases or little bits of money. The museums that we have in Washington, DC that yeah. hopefully will be open again soon. Yeah. These are wheels of happiness. And all it takes is a recognition of them and just reach your hand out and grab it, and it will move you. You're absolutely right. Like, find your wheels. There can be 20 of them, so that you're guaranteed to hit one of those things every single day. And you don't have to do any work. Just let it move you. Reach your hand out, grab it, and let it move you. And do it in the, in, and try to do it in the absence of drugs and alcohol. Well, Sure. Absolutely. I mean, right. pursuant to this conversation, absolutely. Personal preference. Sure, that makes sense. If you want to heal yourself, if you want just some genuine fun, it's like, think back to when you were a kid. What did you love to do? Chances are, you'll still love to do many of those things. The plus one's friends. Go on. The plus one's friends are very different than my than my friends, or the majority of my, so my close friends, in terms of like their activities. Mm-hmm. Their activities are a bit more, I'd say, a bit more PG, you know? Okay. And they have way more fun. And, like, I'll have way more fun with them. And so I'm just like, and I guess pe- people can interpret PG. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't I just, I, I just have people in my life that just live kind of in excess, whatever, however you want to take that. Yeah. You know? Um, and, like. So what's a PG night? Like, huh? a game night? 
Yeah, yeah, that or like a book club game night or let's see trombone shorty for for new year's or like let's do this potluck or do all this stuff they do a friendsgiving we sat around all the things that that we were thankful for and like i told them i'm like yo i'm like y'all just have a better disposition a stronger moral compass and i never thought i would even want to be i thought i would find myself being actually bored in that lifestyle when it's just like no i actually am continually fulfilled in terms of like just good personality good fun because good people can captivate. She has one one of her friends from law school has her husband. I am not sure I could have predicted me having such a thriving friendship with this individual. This is such a good dude. I am excited to hang with this guy, even if it's just some TV watching shit. You know what I'm saying? Or something like that. That is like no enhancements, nothing. You know what I'm saying? I am excited. And like that just didn't exist in my life previously. It pre- but it takes me back to a little kid. Because when right. I was a little kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, Dad, can you drop me off at so-and-so's house? What the hell are we going to do? We're going to run around, but we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. That's like me me kind of recognizing, of, of course, knowing yourself, learning learning like who is who is best for you. But that's also kind of like, the, I mean, that's like the crowd I left at Temple were more like that. And, mm-hmm. the, and the crowd I joined in Maryland were not. Right. And I realized how much I missed I missed that group. You know what I'm saying? It took me damn near like 10 years to figure it out, you know? But like, uh, but I, I finally got there. And now maybe you can take some of those lessons that you're learning innately yeah. from the PG group yeah. and transfer that to some of your friends who maybe live a more extreme lifestyle. Exactly. I mean, when you're young and you're quote-unquote good, doing things that become quote-unquote bad are seen as cool. It's cool to be transgressive. Yeah. And that's fine in some ways. It's still fun sometimes to stay out really late, like once in a while, like New Year's Eve. You stay out really late, you get a little drunk. There's something cool about just letting off steam like that. However, once you really start to mature past the point of, okay, it's important for me to be seen as cool all the time, that transgressiveness ceases to be all that great. Yeah. And it has negative consequences. So, like, it has to do with self-confidence and and maturity and growing up. If people don't see me as, quote-unquote, cool, that's fine. What really matters is that the people that I love and I value feel that reciprocated. Yeah. And that usually has more to do with that kind of PG lifestyle. But you have to reach that point if you're going to then be a good parent. Yeah. Because then you have to be willing to create the world that a young person will grow up in. And that should be a G-level world. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. You know, absolutely. It's kind of funny. It's like you're young, you learn how to transgress, then hopefully some spark hits your mind at some point. You're like, okay, I can stop all this transgression and come back to who I was as a young person because that's truly who I am. And now I'm ready and able to create that world for the next generation. It's like if you don't go through that journey, it's not always great because yeah. some people wait till they're 40 or 50, they have a midlife crisis and then they blow up their life. So I think it's useful I'm to fix that. It's useful to have <laughs> to have gone through that journey. Yeah. I have tried, I have I have experimented. I've learned about myself and now I have returned to my true essence. And now I can stand on that as a very solid footing and say, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you, ancestors. Thank you to my great friends who have shown me that light that was always there within myself. 
now I'll be able to join that light with another person mm-hmm. and really spark kind of the, this fire. And when you really do it right, that becomes eternal. You know, there's a photo of my grandfather, a caricature right yeah. there in, our, in this very room. And this guy died in 2006. He'll never die. He'll never die because he was a really integrated person and he put forth the positivity and the energy and the solid base for the whole family to then learn from, draw from, live up to. I think we all have the capacity to do that and to be the Hyman Perlow of your future family. And it takes a lot of this stuff that we've talked about. I mean, it's brilliant and beautiful that we can have this conversation because not everybody is willing to do it. No. Not everyone has a friend as good as you who's willing to come and sit in your apartment yeah, and just chop it up like this because yeah. this isn't important. And I think everybody needs to do this, whether it's with a therapist or with their significant other or just a dear friend. Like having somebody in front of you who can be your mirror and teach you lessons, even from their own life, is super valuable. It is. It is. So thank you. Thank you. For this conversation and for the more, I'm sure that we will have. Exactly. Trying to learn about each other and learn about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate you as well. And I love you as well. Likewise. Say it. Love you. (laughs) I do that with (laughs) sometimes. Yeah, beep it out. I I love you, Daniel Bloom. Thank you. I love you, Daniel Bloom. (laughs) This is not a secret. Everybody knows that we love each other. I want to recommend another graduation speech. This one Ooh. by David Foster Wallace, oh. who was another brilliant writer who I know did commit suicide. Yeah, but I've heard about this one. It's, it, it, Wake the, Forest? It's about this is water. Yeah. That we are all fish, and we don't really understand like how incredible it is that we're swimming through water, because we take the water for granted. But his point, and it's one that I think he was also trying to teach himself, yeah. is that to keep reminding yourself of how extraordinary it is that you're even alive. It's even part of the situation. That, you're, that you even get a chance to be happy or sad or breathe the air or taste something delicious or have a beautiful love for a single moment. None of it is granted. It's all a gift. And so if you can't see that gift yet, try and keep trying. Yeah. And look for the small victories. Look for the wheels of happiness. And if things get really drastic, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 800-273-8255, or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. In two- or speak to people in your life, because a lot of times you don't want to call those. Well, that's a first step. Yeah, but yeah. But look, if things get really... Oh, fuck yeah. If things get really hairy, there are people out there who are trained and waiting for the call. And it's 24 hours. You so. know how many people called that line in 2017? How many? Two million. Two million. Yeah. So... Was that after Pete Davidson did his thing? I have no idea. Was it so, Pete Davidson or was it Logic? I don't know. Oh, Logic. It was Logic. Yeah. But just remember that there are people out there, even if you think there's nobody out there for you, there really are. They're right there on the end of the phone line, and more than likely, they're actually in your life. So I'm going to say that number again. 800-273-8255, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Also, there's an interesting group called the Open Path Psychotherapy Collective openpathcollective.org that's a resource to help you find affordable 
mental health care. Yeah. For even folks who don't have insurance. Yeah. Again, Open Path Psychotherapy Collective, openpathcollective.org. That's a great resource for people to find. Okay. Okay. To find some help. As for David. Yeah, right. <laughs> so until next time, thank yes. you. I love you. Love you as well. Let's keep this thing going. It's a beautiful just journey. Figuring it out. Y'all just not along the ride. They're like, what are they talking about? Yeah, you're lucky this is free. Because <laughs> <laughs> it costs us a lot. <laughs> <laughs>